Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's a good thing they aren't paying me to agree with them. Holy flame, my ass! how excited I am about that tune. I am very proud to present Grave Fission, made by a very close friend of mine, Blue Boy. You can find him on Instagram at that handle, spelt B-L-O-O underscore B-O-I underscore. Hey there, friends. I'm Nuclear Yuki, and welcome once again to a nuclear reading show. Today, we're continuing on with Fallout Equestria, written by KCAT. And, as always, since the gangs can be a bit feisty, Fallout was created by Bethesda, and My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, was created by Hasbro. And with all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 10. Course Correction. 
fireworks. Pinky Bell. No, Silver Bell. I should start to think of her as Silver Bell. Called it Fireworks. She had been saving it until her Pinkie Pie Museum collection was complete. Of course, if you were going to throw a party to end all parties, you would need fireworks. Is that what I think it is? Railwright moaned, staring at the strange object full of pulsing, twisting colours from the barn door, not willing to take a step inside. Outside, beyond him, I could see Ditsy Doo helping the little filly into her delivery wagon. I deliver absolutely everything, was emblazoned upon the side, along with the constellation of circles that I supposed was the ghoul pony's trademark. Watcher had come through again. A sprite bot had silently wandered into the farm deep into the night. Watcher was keeping an eye out for us. My slightly creepy guardian stranger. It had taken considerably less persuading to get Watcher to contract Ditsy Doo again for help. Maybe it was because Velvet Remedy's warning had been still fresh in my head. But I had asked nicely, saying please this time. More likely, it was because Watcher had totally freaked out the moment I had led the sprite bot into the barn. Watcher's panicked reaction at the object in the barn had been unexpected and frightening, rather unlike Velvet Remedy's more refined freakout when she met Ditsy Doo. Once I had assured her that the ghoul pony was a friend, and not a ravenous zombie pony like the herd that had chased us down yesterday, Velvet had smiled and acted perfectly polite. But she was still keeping her distance and giving the ghoul horrified looks. I think the medical pony inside of her was having an allergic reaction to the very existence of pony ghouls. I had expected Ditsy Doo's personal arrival. Silverbell needed help, and we couldn't provide it ourselves. There was a possible place in Manhattan that could help the poor filly, if it still existed. But as my oh-so-uneventful trek across the equestrian wasteland had already proven, it was far too dangerous to drag some pony like Silverbell along. She needed love and comfort, safety and prolonged therapy. Wandering the equestrian wasteland wouldn't provide that, and another hostile encounter might scar her even worse. I worried that her pain and wounds were too deep to heal already. I couldn't risk that, and with the lack of alternatives, New Appaloosa was the only real option I saw, and with what I knew of Ditsy Doo, it would be hard to find some pony better to help her, outside of a professional psychiatrist pony, and I knew Ditsy Doo would really care about her. I had not expected Railwright to arrive on the wagon, and although he had seemed pleasant before, something about this visit felt foreboding. I turned away from him and back towards the strange object, careful to look slightly above and to the side of it, rather than right into the swirling surface. Ay yep. Calamity was standing just inside the barn, having pulled the door open. He refused to get much closer, although out of reasonable caution rather than abject fear. That's a Belvar barn. Pinky Bell had an undetonated mega spell in her barn. For fireworks. Shafts of pure sunlight pierced the air from hundreds of tiny breaks in the omnipresent cloud cover. It was like the night I first stepped out of Stable 2, only instead of a fathomless abyss sprinkled with stars, what was shown through above was a sky of the most beautiful blue. I wanted that sky so badly, but the breaks closed up even faster than they appeared. By noon, the grey covering would be solid again. Ditty Doo had wrapped Silverbell in a blanket and was strapping herself to the front of the wagon with practised ease. She caught me watching her and smiled back, the odd eye rolling up. I tried not to shudder at that and gave her my best smile back, then cast a mildly reproachful gaze towards the stack of barrels that Velvet Remedy was trying to remain in the vicinity of without actually hiding. What in tarnation do you plan to do with that thing? Calamity was asking Railwright as they clopped away from the barn. I'd suggest collapsing the barn on it, but that might set it off. Hell, for all we know, moving it might set the gosh darn thing off. Railwright neighed. I have no idea. He held a hoof to block Calamity. Y'all mind if I had a word with Little Pip for own like? Calamity shrugged and trotted over to Ditsy Doo. Railwright approached me. My sense of unease increased. You know, if you keep sending us folks, we're going to have to build a bigger town. He began, casually, but I detected a stern tone underneath. Well, I'm hoping to be freeing a lot more ponies from slavers, I admitted, thinking once again of Philadelphia. But I'm only sending them to you because you're the kindest, most decent folk I've met so far. In all honesty, 
I was beginning to feel a little uncomfortable sending ponies to live in a town that had a history of trading with slavers. I only hoped the influx of mistreated slaver captives might swing their view. Now, don't get me wrong. We admire what you're trying to do. You're out there saving lives. And there ain't no pony complaining about that. We'll give him a good home. And see that little filly and the others from old Appaloosa are cared for a right. Here it comes, I thought. But, Railwright grimaced. Y'all are reckless and dangerous. You got six of our best train ponies slaughtered, some of them being friends of mine for longer than I can remember. You destroyed one of our only functioning trains, and y'all pretty much set fire to any peaceful relations New Appaloosa had managed with the slavers. I'll have to be putting extra guard ponies on all the walls now, and we'll need to be sending more guards with the caravans. Honestly, I'm worried if we got enough ammo in the town if and they should decide to take things out on us for what your ponies did. I fell back onto my haunches, ears flat. My heart was sinking. So, I'm sorry to tell you this, I truly am, but y'all aren't exactly welcome back in New Appaloosa anymore. He tried to soften the blow. At least not for a good long while. I felt a little numb. Railwright glanced over his flank to where Ditsy Doo and Calamity were stomping hooves, bartering over the scavenged goods that had begun to weigh down our saddlebags. Railwright rolled his gaze back to me. Ditsy Doo has been damned insistent about trading with you, but I've convinced her to conduct her business with Yarl at the gates. The cloud ceiling had fully mended itself, casting the equestrian wasteland once again into its dreary grey. Velvet Remedy and Calamity trotted ahead of me, deep in discussion over song lyrics. Velvet had somehow managed to convince Calamity to try a duet with her. My heart felt like lead, but I was surprised that Railwright's news didn't hurt a lot more. I didn't feel like a rug had been pulled out from under me. In my mind, I'd forged no real ties to Appaloosa, save perhaps a fond respect for the author of the Wasteland Survival Guide. I'd never considered making it my home, particularly not after learning why Calamity had refused to make it his. So, no more adrift now than I'd been last night. I checked my pitbuck. Its auto-map had several new locations flagged now, including the one towards which we were travelling, Manhattan. Calamity had bartered quite well, gaining us medical supplies, food, canteens, and even a little ammo for little Macintosh. He'd also bartered to let us look over some maps from Ditsy Doo, recording the information in my pitbuck. It was from those maps that I'd obtained markers from Manhattan, which was less than a week's trot, and Philadelphia, which was not. The Bell Farmhouse had possessed a small water purifier, allowing us to fill our canteens for the long walk ahead. Silverbell was leaving behind her Pinkie Pie Museum. I had asked her permission, very quietly, to look at her Partitan Mintel's recipe. It was now stored in my pit buck. For some reason, I hadn't felt like mentioning that to the others yet. Fatigue was beginning to take its toll on all of us. We hadn't slept, staying with Silverbell until Ditsy Doo arrived. Even when the filly cried herself into a nightmare-filled sleep, we still stood vigil. In the distance, I could see a very narrow white tower rising up into the sky. So high, it pierced the clouds. Part of me was strongly tempted to divert towards it, just to have a look. But it was miles away and would add many hours to our trip. Instead, I tried to state my curiosity with the small series of buildings up ahead. I trotted faster to catch up to Calamity and Velvet. Velvet Remedy had paused in her songwriting, bothered by a question. Calamity, if the Pegasus ponies live up in the clouds, what do they eat? Calamity answered nonchalantly. Oh, they grow their own food up there. He looked at her. I haven't you ever heard of cloud seeding? Velvet Remedy stared at him. To Calamity's credit, he held the deadpan expression for quite a few seconds before breaking into a grin. Velvet chuckled. Very funny. Fine. Have your secrets. But one day, I'll expect a real answer. I tried to float my binoculars out to take a closer look at the buildings, but I was barely able to get past opening my saddlebags before my levitation was exhausted. By Luna's grace, I needed sleep. Calamity launched into the air, zooming forward to do an aerial sweep above the structures. He came back, looking grim. Riders. Another raider pony went down, most of her head splattering on the wall behind her, mixing with the graffiti. I dipped back behind the apple cart, 
the apples having long rotted away and the raiders had taken to decorating it with pony skulls. Little Macintosh had two more shots left. I had more bullets, but I wasn't quite sure how to reload without relying on my magic. It was strange enough firing the gun in my teeth. Velvet Remedy crouched beside me, tending to a gash in Calamity's side. To her credit, she'd actually tried to talk to the raiders. They returned her hello with some extremely perverted suggestions, at least one of which involved necrophilia. That's when Calamity started picking off the ponies who had taken sniping positions on the roofs. Hook me to the cart, Calamity insisted. Excuse me? Ververt looked at him questioningly. Calamity hoof-tapped the apple cart. Hey, instead of hiding behind it, let's use it. Hook me up and climb in. I looked between the cart and Calamity. Wait, you mean you're going to pull us through the air as we shoot those guys? You could do that? Hey, yep. I blinked. It would certainly make for novel combat. I nodded to Velvet and she began strapping Calamity in. Moments later, we were in the air. It was exhilarating. The wind blowing through my coat. The ground no longer holding me. It was like falling, only fun. A little bit terrifying, but fun. Don't you forget to shoot back, Calamity called out, realising I was enraptured by the experience. A raider pony's bullet thudded into the bottom of the wagon. I suspect it hadn't been the first. My mind snapped back to the battle, and I took aim. Down went another raider pony. I lined up a third with the scope and tongued the trigger. My target fell, blood pooling under him. This was almost too easy. Only now I had to reload or switch weapons. The combat shotgun was going to be useless at this range, and I had lost my assault rifle in the train battle. That left the sniper rifle, a weapon so large that it required either telekinesis or a mounting to fire. I looked at the cart, figuring I could brace it on the posts. Wah! Calamity shouted as the sky filled with bullets, one coming close enough to scrape his battle saddle. Pesky varmint! Little Pip, see if you can't take that one hand behind them mailboxes. I'll bank so you can get a better shot. I lined up the sniper rifle, bracing it as best I could, then aimed down the scope as Calamity swung the cart around. I spotted the raider unicorn, an ugly mare with only scraps of purple left in her mane. She was mostly protected behind the row of mailboxes, floating up a scoped assault carbine, a serious upgrade to the assault rifle I'd used before. I held my tongue until Calamity's manoeuvring gave me a better shot. The raider dived almost fully into view, unleashing a torrent of bullets up at us. Slipping into the targeting nirvana of sats, I barely noticed Calamity's cry as I tongued the trigger and sent the raider out with the goddess's judgement. I felt the wagon tilt dangerously. Calamity! Velvet cried out beside me. The wagon turned sharply in the air. I gasped. Calamity had been shot, clean through his right wing. The wing was seeping with blood, and he grunted in agony as he tried to keep the wagon aloft. I am sorry, folks, he whinnied painfully. Y'all might experience some turbulence. The wagon dropped five feet, eliciting a yelp from both Velvet Remedy and myself. Calamity caught the fall, pulling up, trying to make it to the roof of the most intact building. He made it, mostly. My friend crashed down onto the roof hard, skidding along the broken tiling, the wagon slamming down behind him at a bad angle, one of the wheels snapping off as it threw Velvet Remedy and I. I found myself airborne in the not-fun falling way. I hit the roof once, bouncing, pain bursting in my shoulder, and flew into a pile of crates and ammo boxes, the former splintering upon impact. I looked up in time to see the apple cart roll over Calamity, jolting off the lip of the roof with a loud crack, and proceed over the edge, dragging Calamity along with it. Blood smeared the rooftop from his shot wing. The wounded Pegasus gasped and kicked out with his legs, catching and bracing himself against the lip of the roof. He stopped, trembling, the weight of the wagon pulling at him through the still mostly intact harness. Help! Velvet Remedy moaned nearby. The lucky mare had managed to land face first on a nice, soft mattress. Raider bedding. On second thought, perhaps not so lucky. I pulled myself to my hooves, wincing in pain from splinters and scrapes and a brutal bruise in my shoulder, and dashed towards Calamity. Velvet galloped past me, her longer legs carrying her to the Pegasus's side where she started biting at the strained harness. I swiftly joined her. Calamity groaned. After a few very long seconds... 
harness cut, the cart fell down the side of the building and smashed onto the fragments of sidewalk below. Velvet Remedy knelt upon the mattress, which she had tried flipping over to a less grossly stained side, only to be deterred by the colonies of bugs living underneath, and contemplated the memory orb we had found in the wreckage of ditzy deliveries. She hadn't actually played it yet. Velvet had taken care in cleaning and mending Calamity's wounded wing as best she could, then wrapping it in healing bandages, assuring the Pegasus that he would be ready to fly again by next morning. Presuming, of course, that he follow her advice and stay earthbound until he could get some rest. Likewise, she had treated the rest of our injuries with healing potions and poultices. Once again, our medical supplies had been reduced below what I would have wanted. I was counting on scavenging more from the buildings. Surely the raiders had been hoarding some. There was Hatch down into the building. Moments after we had cut the apple cart loose, a single raider pony had burst up out of it, armed with a metal rake whose tines had been sharpened into deadly claws. He was felled by a twin shot from Calamity's battle saddle. Even at the edge of passing out, Calamity was still a perfect shot. Why a balefire bomb? I asked as I reclaimed my sniper rifle, struggling to put it back into its harness without levitation. It turned out that reloading bullets into Little Macintosh had been within my capabilities still, but only as long as the beautiful gun was held in my mouth. My Calamities both looked up. Startled, I clarified, I mean, why was it a bomb? I thought mega spells were cast. Calamity, who had curled up underneath the roof hatch, simultaneously resting and keeping watch, answered, Unicorn ponies cast spells. Zebras did not. They mixed their magics into potions, phylacteries, and fetishes. Their mega spells either worked into enchanted missiles, like the one which obliterated Cloudsdale, or snuck into population centers and detonated, like the Belfire bomb which annihilated Manhattan. I nodded at that and turned my attention to pulling ammo from the radar ammo boxes. One locked box provided me with several grenades. Nice. Looking up to Calamity. Ready to brave the building? I was hoping that all the raiders were already dealt with and we could scavenge freely. But that was probably wistful thinking. Calamity nodded, getting onto his hooves. Velvet Remedy got up, moving past me towards the hatch. I leaned forward and bit the end of Velvet Remedy's tail trying not to think what it tasted like, and reined in her forward trot. Stay here, I whispered. Let us scout it first. Velvet nickered at me, unappreciatively, but stopped. Calamity gripped the hatch handle with his teeth and flapped his wings, getting a disapproving sigh from Velvet Remedy. Pulling it open, the warm, flickering light and arid smoke of burning trash barrels greeted us. Crouching down, I made my way down the stairs. Calamity followed. There were three raider ponies inside barricaded and waiting nervously for us to show ourselves. I waved Calamity back, then backed up myself. A moment later, I sent several of my new grenades down to see them. Ah, oh, fuck! came a voice from below, followed by three rapid explosions, then a silence marred only by the sound of falling debris. Creeping back down, I found three bloody corpses in a hell of a mess. The rest of the building was radar-free, although Calamity and I had to clear a few tripwires and disarm a bouquet of grenades hanging over the front door before I was ready to declare the building safe for looting. Sadly, neither Calamity nor I had the sort of finesse with explosives and traps that would allow us to safely connect the grenades. Disarming the grenade bouquet was done at a distance and involved a throw and bucket and a lot of running. I returned to the stairs, calling Velvet Remedy down. Oh, I can come down now? How nice. Velvet gave me a flat expression and trotted down past me. Crap. Below, I heard her suck in a breath at the slaughter below. I closed my eyes, wincing, then opened them and walked down after her. The buildings had included a postal office, a grocery and equestrian army recruitment centre. The last of those had taken a direct hit, leaving only two freestanding walls, one of which still boasted a large recruitment poster. You too can be a steel ranger, it proclaimed with an image of a rearing pony, or at least a rearing pony-shaped suit of fully enclosed armour, complete with a shining lamp on its forehead, towering over a rock-strewn landscape littered with dead, bloody zebras. The rest of the building had collapsed into a crater at the bottom. We had crash-landed on the roof of the post office. It turned out to be the most scavenge-worthy, as the raiders had stored everything from cartons of cigarettes 
to the most valuable of the various odds and ends, I would need to build a poisoned needle gun. No medical supplies, however. That hurt. The grocery had long since been looted of any foodstuffs, and the raiders had turned the interior into their camp. The disemboweled bodies of their victims hung from the ceilings between filthy mattresses and pots full of disgusting food. Pornographic and blasphemous graffiti covered everything. Velvet had insisted on coming into the grocery despite our warnings, but swiftly fled, vomiting into one of the mailboxes across the street. Trotting to the corpse of the unicorn, I picked up the assault carbine with my teeth and struggled to put it into my saddlebags before giving up and carrying it around my neck by the strap along with my canteens. Calamity had stripped the other raider ponies bare of weapons and goods, leaving only their barding behind. And now he was tearing apart their firearms and rebuilding better ones using the best parts. I trotted over to watch him. I had done the same thing before, but he was far better at it. Velvet Remedy, looking a little worse for wear, called out to me as she trotted up. There's a safe in the crater that still looks intact, dear. Do you want to have a go at it? I let her lead the way. Mercifully, Bobby Pin and Screwdriver were still well within my abilities. As I tried to pick the lock, I asked Velvet, We need a place to rest. What do you think of sleeping here? In a raider town? She asked incredulously. Have you seen their decor? Beyond being unbelievably disgusting, it is exceptionally unhealthy. I half suspect the reason they were such easy targets for you two was that they were all impaired from disease. No offence. I nickered and focused on the safe. Besides, there could be more out raiding. Do you really want to be asleep here when they come back? She had a good point. As tired as I was, this was a horrible place to bed down. The safe opened with a click. Looking inside, I found another stealth buck and a copy of Zebra Infiltration Tactics. Know your enemy. As well as every badly aged documents and a number of lightly glowing magical energy grenades. A recorded message was tucked into the back. I downloaded it onto my pit buck and listened. I'm sending you one of the devices recovered from Shattered Hoof Ridge. Intelligence suggested that the Zebras had developed invisibility spell fetishes. But this looks like something designed by the Ministry of Magic. It's even Pip-Buck compatible. I hate to say it, but it looks like we've got traitors within our midst. If somebody in the NAS is leaking arcane technology to the Zebras, the Princess will need to take action. No voice I recognised, but this was the third Ministry I now knew by name. The third of six. Six heroic best friends. Six ministries. The Ministry of Morale and the Ministry of Peace were the only others I knew anything about. Or were they? No, there was one other, although I hadn't learned its name. The orange bucking pony statuette was clearly one of the limited edition magical artefacts that Pinky, no, Silverbell, had told us about. The cutie mark of three apples was identical to the design on the handle of Little Macintosh. The fact that I could mentally draw a line from one of Watcher's heroines to a weapons factory guarded by pony-shaped robots with living brains in them, made me cringe a little. I got the feeling I wasn't going to like a lot of what I was bound to learn about these ministries. At least the Ministry of Peace seemed benign. A curving set of train tracks cut a swathe through the rolling, rocky hills that intersected with our path. So we had begun to follow it. It wasn't exactly the right direction, but it was close, and I suspected the tracks would wind slowly back probably leading all the way to Manhattan. Plus, it had the benefit of being relatively flat. All the hills were sapping me. Hey there, it's Nuclear Yuki again. Now, unfortunately, I couldn't find any of the original recordings of this bit of the story. So, you'll just have to do with me reading the lyrics out loud. I'm not brave enough to sing them for you. No more living in this skilded cage. Velvet began to sing. Shackled to what it's supposed to be. I'm ready to exit this stage. It is time for this bird to fly free. I've been blinded because I've closed my eyes. Calamity stepped in. His voice was no match for Velvet Remedies, but he carried a tune amazingly well. Seeing just what they told me to see. Time to get up, shake off the lies, break their rules, stretch my wings and just leave. Wow. For the second time that morning, I fell to my haunches, my mouth hanging open. Velvet Remedy and Calamity continued their song, unaware that I'd stopped and was staring at them. 
I threw myself back to my hooves and trotted to catch up. There was part of my spirit that was just welling with happiness, seeing my friends like this. A part of my mind was in this constant little squee at hearing Velvet writing a new song, and there was annoyingly earth-ponyish part of me that insisted these two were alerting everything in our vicinity that we were here. I suspected Velvet Remedy didn't know any better, for having been in the wasteland several hours longer than I, she had less experience with travelling through it, and her mind seemed more inclined to the other paths of thought. Calamity, on the other hoof, probably just didn't care, and there were many threats out here that he couldn't just fly away from, and I assumed he sometimes forgot he was travelling with two earthbound ponies. I studiously ignored that part of me. For now, the song was helping me keep my legs working. As we rounded a steep hill, Velvet and Calamity's song reached an abrupt end. I have no idea yet what to do with the bridge, Velvet admitted a little sheepishly. But the chorus is strong. Calamity agreed, having taken a real shine to the project. Spreading his wings, he swooped up to land on a tall rock jutting from the hilltop, then crouched down. Got something ahead, he glided back down to us. There's a batch of ponies all clustered around a heap of vehicles, all mashed together. Calamity checked the load on his battle saddle. They look like they could be raiders. Look like, I said warningly. Calamity paused, blushing. Yeah, well, uh, better to approach cautiously. Safer rather than sorrier, all in that. Fortunately, they ain't seen us yet, so... You sure about that, pony? Said a gravelly voice in the air just above us. The armoured griffin thudded down in front of us in a battle stance, talons sharp as razors, a jagged scar running up her beak and across where her left eye had once been, and a tri-barreled magical energy shotgun in a quick-draw holster under her breast. The battle-scarred griffin was named Gord, and we were her guests. I must admit I found her... impressive. Gord marched us up the tracks towards what my pitbuck labelled as Junction R7. Calamity's heapy vehicles turned out to be an old rusted train and a stack of wagons forming a barricade over the tracks. The train cars were strange. I had never seen cattle cars before. The wheels on the engine were missing, from the cactus vines growing over much of it. Junction 7 hadn't seen moving traffic for at least a decade. Ponies had converted the trapped train into a guard outpost. Rusty sheet metal formed sheltered huts jutting out from the wagon stack. From the stench of manure... The old switch house on the opposite side was their outhouse. Velvet Remedy lifted a hoof to her nose, eyes watering. Calamity noticed me eyeing the cattle cars. I have had stories of slavers using those to transport slaves long distances over the rails. He muttered, adding after a moment's thought, Never seen it with me own eyes, though. Taking in the size of the cattle cars and the number of them on this train, it struck me. That's a lot of slaves. On the other hoof, these ponies were certainly not using them for the buying of selling of ponies. They were dressed in the same sort of makeshift armour that I'd taken from the raiders, but a closer look revealed that several of them carried magical energy weapons of one sort or another, and as we neared, most of those weapons were swiftly pointed at us. My ears flattened as I remembered one of the train ponies vaporised, leaving only glowing pink ash behind. It occurred to me only now that I'd seen the same effect on my first day outside, the watcher-controlled sprite bot had used a similar weapon on the bloat sprite, so maybe the sprite bots weren't entirely Earth Pony engineering after all. Despite our situation, my thoughts jumped track. What did watchers say about bloat sprites? When you mix parasprites and taint, which is magical radiation, right? Or is it something different? Oi, let them pass, God called out. Me and these little ponies are going to have a talk. Hooves raged in greeting, several ponies echoing hoys before returning to what they had been doing before. One brown mare with a missing leg was using her peg to jam spark batteries into the array for a melted multi-barrel magical energy cannon. A pink unicorn pony had several barrels stripped out of the cannon and was cleaning them with his horn. He moved slowly, like his motor skills were impaired, but his telekinetic homework was fluid and precise. I could see old scars, dozens at least possibly over a hundred, all down his back and legs. He'd been whipped to the edge of death many times. I looked to my companions. Calamity had slowed down, giving the mounted weapon a curious eye. 
Velvet Remedy was more concerned, if not downright appalled, at the condition of some of these ponies. A half-starved foal trotted out of the shadowed alcove of rusty metal, carrying a canteen around his neck, which he offered to each of the half-dozen ponies I could spot. Velvet leaned close, whinnying nervously. What are we getting into? With Talon and Wing, Gord directed us into the single passenger car on the train, nestled up against the crippled engine. From the reek of dander inside, this was clearly the house of Gord, or at least her office. Close up the door, she ordered a blue-coated earth pony as she stepped inside behind us. The door swung shut with a metallic squeal, and I could hear braces thudding into place. We were locked in with the griffin. Ironically, in better circumstances, I realised this would be a big tactical mistake for the griffin. Three against one, and at least two of us could handle ourselves in combat. It was odd, and somewhat uncomfortable, to think of myself as some pony who could face a fight with confidence. Not for the first time, I had to wonder if the wasteland was changing me for the better, or just changing me. Right now, however, with my levitation magic at its most feeble, we were probably hosed if it came to blows and guns. It was the same reasoning that had prompted me to accept Gord's invitation in the first place. Things hadn't changed. The room was spartanly furnished, save for a desk with a glowing terminal and a tattered black flag on the back wall showing wicked talons coming out of darkness. Gord strutted around behind the desk, placed her talons on it and faced us. I shook my head, trying to clear the webs of too little sleep when I caught myself musing that she'd look really attractive if she was a little closer to my age and, you know, a pony. First things first, Gord glowered at the three of us. Who are you ponies and who do you work for? Calamity bristled. I could ask you the same thing. Mind your manners, Pegasus. You're in our territory and in my home. I ask, you answer. I put a steadying hoof on Calamity's flank indicating that this was okay. Stepping forward, I'm Little Pip. This is Calamity and Velvet Remedy. We're just passing through. We also had an increasingly desperate need for a place to sleep, but I wasn't going to reveal that, much less suggest we sleep anywhere near here. Did Mr. Topaz give you permission to cross our territory? Something made me suspect a trick question. But before I could formulate a strategic response, Velvet Remedy asked, Who's Mr. Topaz? The grizzled griffin leaned over the desk and locked Velvet Remedy with her one good eye. Say again? She stared at Velvet appraisingly. Velvet Remedy stood up straight. You asked us about Mr. Topaz, some pony I'd never heard of before. I asked you who that was. What's so difficult about that? I had to force myself not to face hoof. However, Gord apparently saw something in Velvet that impressed on her that the unicorn was sincere. The griffin sat back. You really don't know, do you? A smile slowly crossed across her beak, her scar turning it into something unpleasant. Well now, isn't that interesting? She tapped her talon tips together as she considered us. Well? Velvet Remedy prompted. Gord leaned back, smiling quite a lot now. Mr. Topaz is the lord and master of Shattered Hoof and all territories adjacent. Calamity nickered. I call horse apples. This ain't anywhere as close to Shadowdoof Ridge. Gord rolled her eyes. No, but you are less than half an hour's flight from Shadowdoof, the rock-breaking compound, which is named after Shadowdoof the battle. Rock-breaking compound. Gord face-winged. Really? Sure you understand rock-breaking? She stared at our uncomprehending faces, then sighed. Sometimes rocks have gems in them. Unless you've got a unicorn who can tell you which ones do and which ones don't, you have to break them open to see what's inside. For crying out loud, you had to have at least passed at least one of the rock farms in order to get here. Velvet Remedy raised an eyebrow, confused. How does you farm rocks? Ugh, easy. You pick a plot of land where the rocks have shown a higher likelihood of hiding gems, and you farm them. We were clearly not impressing the griffin with our ignorance. Waving a talon, some ponies even used to rotate the rocks around from one field to the other to help improve the chances of gems. That doesn't make any sense, I blurted, interrupting. It wasn't like the gems grew in the rocks like seeds, after all. My mind twinged. Calamity only made it worse by suggesting, I think it's a tradition. 
Well, it's a stupid tradition, I argued back. These are rocks. Gems aren't magical. A rock isn't going to be any more likely to have gems in it if you give the rock loving care or extra sunlight or better dirt to sit on. Well, gems could be magical, I mean. How many magical artifacts use gems? You need gems to build magical energy weapons. They use them to focus and amplify the energies. I stared. First, that was way more technical expertise on anything related to the arcane sciences than I ever expected from Calamity. Second, it had never actually occurred to me that gems might be magical. Gord sat in front of us, impatiently waiting. After a silent pause, I turned back to her. I think we're done now. Please continue. Gord had a job for us. Promised bottle caps and safe passage in return. Naturally, we had some questions. Starting with, why us? Because you ponies aren't from around here. You got no loyalties to any of the people thereabouts. And that makes you free to operate where I can't. Do things a member of Mr. Topaz's employ couldn't get away with. She gave us a narrow look. You getting me? I nodded slowly. You want us to do something that you can't without being disloyal to Mr. Topaz. Isn't it still disloyal to hire somebody else to do your dirty work? Velvet Remedy questioned. Gord glowered. Now look here. I only have two loyalties. To the contract and to bottle caps. And in that order. She leaned back, looking over her shoulder at the flag behind her. My old crew learned that when they decided to take up Red Eye's offer and turn her over to the caravan we were hired to protect the Red Eye's slavers. She turned back to us. Talons don't break contracts. Not even for barrels of caps. They learned that the hard way when I shot him in the back. Her smile turned grim. It was a point of honour. Shooting your friends in the back didn't sound like any code of honour I could understand. Still, Gord's words opened up a whole flood of new questions from us, stampeding one after another. Gord was gracious enough for a little while to answer. Red Eye, that guy on the sprite bots, he runs the slavers. Yes. Ironic, isn't it? He preaches all that horse shit about peace and unity and building a better tomorrow, and he's been building it on the backs of hundreds of slaves. Can't understand how many of you ponies buy into his hypocritical rubbish. But Griffins don't? Hell no! He couldn't pay enough to make me bite into his poisoned apple, Gord grimaced, adding, Not that he's offering. No unity for Griffins. We just hired wings to him. And the Griffins still work for him? Yes. Gord seemed to take that as either offensive or stupid, or possibly offensively stupid. The Talons will work for whoever pays. Slavers, raiders, good little townsfolk, caravans, whoever's got the caps. We don't play politics, and we don't take sides. Unless, of course, it's in the contract. That's been the Griffin way for over 200 years. Red Eye, he gets that. And unlike some folk... He has no reservations about strengthening his forces with our kinds. Talons? The Talons, Gord boasted, looking back at the flag. Have been the best mercs in the equestrian wasteland since before Equestria was a wasteland. She thumbed her armour proudly. Can't hire yourself any better. Why does... But Gord had finally reached the end of her conversational composure. Enough! I'm not your fucking teacher! I'm the one who is hiring you to perform a service. Get it done, and done right. You can ask me everything you want as I lead you safely out of here. I looked to my companions. The chore itself shouldn't be too hard. After all, right in my skill set. I'd barely need the magic I barely had. Gord clicked her talons together again. Oh, one last thing. Why did I know it wasn't going to end like this? What? Collateral. Gord smiled, a cold and friendless smile. Not that I don't trust you, but I need to make sure you don't plan to march in there and tell Deadeyes about our little arrangement. So one of you is staying behind with me. Oh, hell no, Calamity all but growled. Or maybe instead, I suggested reasonably, you could sit on my horn and spin. Gord actually smirked at that. She opened her talons in a wave. If you decide you don't want the job, you're free to go. I'll just have the ponies outside open up their door and tell them that you're no longer under my protection anymore. She raised an eyebrow, 
pretending to give us time to mull over the non-choice. You do the job, this is the way you do it. Okay, not so attractive. I glared at the griffin. Fine, you can have me. I winced a moment later and clarified, as your prisoner. Gord contemplated that for less than a moment. No. A razor-sharp talon jabbed the air in Velvet Remedy's direction. She will stay. My mind echoed Calamity's words. Oh, hell no! I opened my mouth, expecting the stream of profanity working its way to my tongue would shock even a raider. But Velvet Remedy preempted me. Agreed. What? I turned towards her, aghast. Velvet merely nodded. There are ponies here that I might be able to tend to, and your special skills are needed for this undertaking. Wait, Gord interrupted. Tend to? Don't tell me you're another preacher. Velvet Remedy fixed the griffin with a stare of her own. Maybe you should have asked more about me before insisting I stay here with you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Calamity passed me the binoculars and crouched back down behind a formation of boulders lining the hilltop. I took them and looked down into a small, unnatural valley surrounded by ridges. Several rows of tracks cut through the valley, ending at the iron-gated mouth of a fortress. Walls of concrete and barred windows rose up from the ground surrounding a courtyard, most of which was barely visible through a roof of razor wire, although there was a gaping hole in the razor wire towards one side that some pony on a better day could drop boxcars through. The broken remains of a road cut up by multiple concrete barriers, terminated at a second gate of thick metal beneath the watch of a guard tower. I could see a scarce few ponies walking between it and the towers. Shattered Hoof Re-Educational Stockyard. Reforming aberrant morality through hard work and loving care. We had been warned that the surrounding valley had been mined. The road would be a killing zone. And even if I went it alone using the stealth buck, I doubted even I would be able to get through that door. It looked like it only opened from the inside. If we were going to sneak in, there was only one way to go. I looked at Calamity and saw that he had come to the same conclusion. I figure we wait till it gets a bit darker, then I'll fly you in. I nodded. Are you sure your wing's up for it? Calamity stretched out his bandaged wig and gave it a few flaps. Yep, good to go. Take more than a bullet to take me out of the sky. He quickly added. When I'm not pulling an apple cart, at least. A shadow passed over his expression as he looked at his bandaged wing. Flying in still held risk. A dark, pony-shaped blotch against the sky. Some pony might spot that, particularly if they're on the lookout for griffins. I didn't want to risk Calamity getting shot again, and the stealth buck couldn't conceal both of us. I mulled over the problem until an idea struck me. It could help but I hated asking Calamity to fly on his wounded wing, even if he had just suggested it. Calamity! Remember those mattresses back at the grocery? I asked. An hour later, with the clouded sky darkening, Calamity gently circled down towards the huge hole in the razor wire above the rock-breaking yard. His forelegs wrapped around me, and in turn, I strained my telekinesis to keep the cover sheet from one of the radar outpost mattresses flying along beneath us. The mottled, mostly grey colour of the rectangle camouflaged our shapes against the sky. Shattered Hoof had become the home of escaped slaves, many from the train that had been ambushed at Junction R7, who had turned to a life of raiding the local farms. The very idea made my stomach tighten. Having fought to save several captured ponies, risked my life and those of my friends, not to mention the lives of the innocent train ponies, to give them freedom, 
The mere idea that some former slaves would turn to the most vile sorts of barbarism made my skin want to tear itself off. Their leader was a pony named Dead Eyes, who spoke for a supposedly higher pony whom no one but Dead Eyes had ever seen, Mr. Topaz. It was for Mr. Topaz that Dead Eyes organised raiding parties out of Shattertooth and kept the rock-breaking yards in operation. Inside that fortress, Gord had told us, secure in Dead Eyes' office was a safe. In that safe was a ledger. Gord wanted it. She didn't say why. Honestly, I had my own reasons for wanting to take a look at that. Deftly, Calamity arrowed through the torn section of razor wire and landed us gently at one edge of the yard. You see? He whispered cockily. Nothing to it. No more than a heartbeat later, two shattered hoof raiders trotted by. Calamity and I backed into the shadows and I pulled the mattress over us. We held our breaths. Did you hear something? I heard one ask the other. Yeah, my stomach growling. They seemed to pause for several long seconds. The stench creeping off the fabric began to make my eyes water and my stomach twist in knots. I was afraid I would sneeze or vomit. Finally, I heard their hooves clop away. Tossing the wretched cover aside, I sucked in fresh air. Then Calamity and I slid along the wall to the first door we could find. It was locked, but that didn't last long. That ain't the safe you're supposed to be picking, Calamity commented as he stood guard by the door. We'd managed to break into the visitor centre of the re-educational, let's face it, prison. The posters on the walls had pictures of smiling, happy ponies, bucking at rocks and revealing beautiful gems, or carrying said gems to facility matrons who just glowed with approval. Here, we teach those poor ponies who have lost their way how to reconnect with pony kind. One banner boasted. Another? It's not long before our guests find themselves taking pride in good, hard work that supports the war effort. There simply weren't enough face hoofs in the world to express my feelings. Two vending machines stood side by side next to Calamity, their lights flickering. Both had been pried open and emptied of Sparkle Cola and Sunrise Sarsaparilla. The latter machine bearing an image of the goddess Celestia raising the sun over happy sarsaparilla drinkers. We had, however, managed to loot a fair bit of old pre-war coins from both machines. It'll just take a moment, I replied, floating up Bobby Pin and Screwdriver. The safe I was working on was not dead eyes. It was the storage safe of valuables in the visitor centres lost and found. This part of the building didn't even connect internally to the prison proper. We would have to brave the yard again and try another door. Calamity shook his head. Honestly, I don't feel right. I don't know why we're doing this. Ain't we helping raiders? I paused. The feeling had occurred to me too. We're doing this because we're not in any condition to fight these people. It would be tough if we were rested and healthy. I took a deep breath. Plus, this is a chance to dig into a little what's going on. I don't really care what's going on at a raider camp, except on how I can put a stop to it. I turned to Calamity and shook my head. No, not just here, everywhere. I was beginning to put together something in my head that I didn't much like. I've been seeing things that suggest that this isn't situation normal for the equestrian wasteland. My first night outside, I was captured by slavers. They marched right up to a raider bridge expecting to have to pay a toll, and instead the raiders just started shooting. At the time, I just took it as luck, but I don't think so anymore. Calamity gave me a considering look, weighing the ideas I was putting forth. That pseudo-goddess at Old Appaloosa, she was new. The slavers there hadn't seen anything like her before, but some pony named Stern sent that bitch here from Philadelphia to oversee things, and that happened, what, a week or two ago? I returned my focus to the safe. Something's going on out here, and that pony red-eye is in the centre of it. Whatever it is, he's been building up for a long time. I searched for the right words with a mental lightning flash they came to me. It's like a river in a storm, and now it's just on the verge of breaking its banks and flooding everything. Calamity sat down, tipping his hat back as he gave that a good pondering. I suppose that makes sense, Calamity chuckled. Sad. How often can I say I'm on a mission from... Don't. Calamity nickered. Ah, I guess not even once. My bobby pin broke. 
Slipping out another, I tried again. I had a distinct urge to see the contents of this safe based on the last pre-war entries on the visitor center terminal. The terminal itself had been encrypted so tightly that the Shattered Hoof Raiders had never been able to access it. Entry 42. Just got word that Shattered Hoof will be closing down the visitor center portion of this facility. The Ministry of Morale has decreed that the friends and family of ponies who have been determined guilty of sedition or treason will no longer have the right to visit our guests until rehabilitation is deemed complete, for fear that our guests might spread their poison to their loved ones. As such, this is going to be my last entry. Fortunately, the severance package will be generous. I plan to take my family and move to Cloudsdale. The world below is just a little too ugly for me to be raising my foals in. We've done our best to contact ponies with items still in the lost and found, and most of what remains will be mailed out today. Unfortunately, we've had no luck in reaching our recent guest entertainer. Sweetie Belle has apparently fallen off the face of Equestria. I've taken care to store her belongings in the safe. It amuses me that we shut this office down just after we repainted. If some pony had said something sooner, we could have saved ourselves a lot of trouble. Not to mention Tiara's new dress. Although the rest of us are upset about that, that mare is unbearable. It cost me a bobby pin, but the safe finally opened. I would discover later, to my chagrin, that I could have just opened it via the terminal had I been more patient. Inside was a single package. Carefully, I pulled it out with my teeth and set it upon the ground. I gave a tug on the drawstring with my teeth and it opened easily. I was stunned to see a statuette of a jaw-droppingly gorgeous white unicorn with a sensual purple mane and tail, and a darling three-gem cutie mark. There were other things in the package too, but I totally forgot about them. Are you done visually molesting that statue, girl? Calamity's words disrupted my reverie. He looked impatient, and I blushed hotly. She's a looker, I'll give you that. But I'm guessing she wouldn't much appreciate the way you're looking at her. I was just looking, I stammered, then focused all my energy to floating up the statue and slipping it into my bag. I knew I was risking burning myself out completely, but I just had to keep her and I didn't want to risk marring the statue with my teeth. The statuette trembled, not wanting to rise from the ground. Then I felt a surge of magical energy, and the statue floated up gracefully. Whatever blessing this one had bestowed, it had just rejuvenated my horn. Just a little. But enough to float the statuette and even little Macintosh. I turned the hot, gorgeous mare around in the air until I could read the engraving. Be unwavering. Footnote. Level up. New perk. Stable shot. Your attacks are smooth, graceful, and precise. You have a higher chance to score a critical hit on an opponent in combat, equivalent to five extra points of luck. I don't really have much to say about this chapter, so I guess I'll just take a few seconds to tell you exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing with this book. You see, I'm a storyteller. That's what I'm good at. Telling... stories. I ramble. So anyway, DJ Poon3's signal doesn't really reach so far south. Something to do with one of those towers he's using getting trashed. Anyway, you know, I'm your host for the south. And Pip's story didn't reach us down here. So, I'm having to tell it to you instead. Got the book here and everything. Pip's a good mare. So, to celebrate her, here's Skybolt with the Wanderer. Enjoy, people. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.